This here's the wildest podcast in the wilderness. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we are back with episode 46. We are slowly but surely creeping our way to episode 50, the golden episode. Uh, but we got some episodes to do before then. We're back in our happy place, the happiest place on earth. We're back in Disneyland. Disneyland is not open yet. They have retracted their opening date. No one's allowed to be in there, but we're going to take it there anyways. We are going to be talking the best Disneyland attraction soundtrack. Now, when we say attraction, we mean rides. We mean uh, the attractions that you would go to attend, but we're not talking shows. We've already done parades. Those aren't going to be counted in this. So these are specifically ride attractions um, and their soundtracks. And so to help us with that, Chris, we found a fellow Will Turner hater. It is <laughs> listener Mandy has joined the pod. Mandy, what is going on? Hello. I am so excited to be here. I am so pumped to talk about the music of the Disney parks. Um, yeah, I, I'm stoked to get into it. Yeah. So uh, you're also a friend of the friend of the show, Tess, right? And so I know that you guys have been doing a lot of parks from home activities in the shelter in place order. So uh, have you really taken that into account into uh, studying these soundtracks as as we've been preparing for this episode? Yeah, it's embarrassing. I think for the past year, even before quarantine, I've been listening every day to the Disneyland and Disney World um, park soundtracks when I'm working just because it gets me in a happy mood. Um, so I, these, these songs are ingrained in my brain and I'm very excited to debate our way through the bracket. And also we have to tip our caps to you, Mandy, because this was your idea. This whole bracket came from your email suggestions. So thank you very much. And to anyone listening out there, if you have any ideas for podcast episodes, brackets, send them our way because we are very likely to use them. So to help us with this bracket, we of course need... A spoonful of sugar. Kyle, what is in your cup today? We're in the middle of summer here, Chris. And not only are we in the middle of summer, but by the time folks hear this episode, baseball's back. Opening day would have happened. We'll be in the middle of opening week. You and I will be absolutely swamped and crying to each other about how swamped we are. So I'm really trying to relax and enjoy our discussion tonight and in the following week for episode two. So what I've got here is a bourbon iced tea. And what that is consisted of is one and a half ounces of bourbon whiskey, half an ounce of limoncello, four ounces of freshly brewed iced tea, and a lemon wedge for garnish. It is summertime in a glass and I am loving it. Is that... our first whiskey drink we've had a uh, spoonful of sugar i i've not had whiskey so I I've, about you. I've thrown down a whiskey i've thrown down a whiskey sour and i think i've thrown down an old-fashioned oh, in the okay. history of the show so uh i i need a break from rum 
We went hard on the rum <laughs> last week. We all heard how hard we went on the rum last week. I got to switch it up. I, I'm staying brown. We're going to stay in whiskey zone. So, Chris, what are you drinking? I thought the same thing. I was like, the rum did me so dirty. So dirty. I need to to, to pull it back a little bit. So uh, I went with actually one from the best sidekick bracket. I went with the Thumper, the fresh 100% cranberry juice with some mezcal. It's a nice, sweet, oh. smoky drink that uh, I actually really liked. It was a very random concoction in the moment, but I could see this being like a permanent drink rotation drink for me. It's easy. It's good for you. Uh, and it really hits the spot. Mandy, what do you got? I am on that rum game. Um, so oh. I <laughs> found this recipe accordingly. It's, it's, it's Trader Sam's recipe, but I got it off the internet. So who really knows? Um, but it's dark rum, pineapple juice, splash of orange, splash of coconut. Top it with some nutmeg and cinnamon. And you got the in the tiki, 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 tiki rum. Ooh, that's a classic right there. It looks delicious. It looks like you professionally mixed that thing. I did not. Uh, it looks like trash <laughs> in real life, but it tastes good. So, <laughs> Before we begin, we have to go over the demographic surveyed for this bracket, the best Disneyland attraction soundtrack. We went ahead and went with someone who has been... I, I've been seeing a lot of these people, Kyle. Uh, yeah, in the same. last like three or four months in particular. These news outlets, quote-unquote news outlets, blogs, websites, just suddenly discovered that ride POVs exist on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> and, and they were publishing these articles like, did you know that Disney, you could ride the rides on your own home? It's like, come on, we've been doing this for decades, y'all. Like, <laughs> Every with Tess Kelly, woot-woot. Come on, yeah. man, like, this is not new. But uh, these videos have been getting lots of views from uh, the general public, and we found a very specific type of person who lives in the comments of these videos lately. And those are the people we surveyed. So we went ahead and asked YouTube commenters using quarantine humor to get likes on ride POVs what their favorite Disneyland attraction soundtrack is. I mean, these folks have been living in the comments for the past six months. Easy. Easy. So this was not a hard demographic to find a survey we our interns probably found the quickest of any response from this group right here because they stay on their computers and want to throw down the quarantine humor mandy how many of these pov views are from you and tess alone oh boy uh, <laughs> she definitely um we make customized ones based on google sheet surveys um to fit certain themes so Whoa. we definitely go all out for these i like that i like that a lot that's some that's one great way to pass the time. And it sounds like these YouTube commenters actually found that out as well. All right, Chris, before we announce our bracket of 16, you know what we got to do. We got to talk about who missed the dance. A lot of great ride soundtracks, but not all of them can make it into the 16. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off here, Chris, because I love talking about Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Honey boy, honey boy. <laughs> honey boy about to be living in New Orleans very soon. Drunk on that hurricane. We're talking about Winnie the Pooh and his acid trip of a birthday. I mean, this is such a, it starts out just so sweet, right? You got the 100 acre woods, you go in and it's his birthday and it's, it's fun and kind of weird. And then the heffalumps show up 
And not only do the heffalips show up, but the visuals associated with that are mind-numbing. However, that portion of the song, certified slap. <laughs> they, su- they, take, they say, take the bass and turn it up to 25 because they just want that thing to slap. And if you listen to that soundtrack in your car, your, your speakers are going to be bumping, I promise. Can I get a little sample of that, Kyle? Yeah. Um, <coughs> a lump of Russell is very confusal. A half a lump of Russell may Beautiful. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. I'm pretty sure that's how they end that line. Chris, what's your first Miss the Dance? Uh, this one's actually pretty unfortunate because we are doing best current Disneyland attraction soundtracks. So there were a lot of things maybe in the past that would have made this bracket, but just because they're not current, they fell a little bit short. And one of those is Star Tours for me. Um, you know, when we're talking about soundtracks, we're not just talking about music. We're talking about narration and dialogue and uh, cue music loops and everything. And the Star Tours, the original Star Tours soundtrack was just so great, uh, especially that uh, boarding spiel, the safety thing. Uh, so, so funny. Um, I don't know. It felt very, like, kitschy. And uh, I really like that about the original Star Tours. And they've since kind of like made it a little bit sleeker, a little bit cooler, lost some of that like goofiness to it, which uh, which is fair, I guess. But Star Tours, not what it used to be in the soundtrack department. What else do you got, Kyle? I'm going to take us to an opening day attraction. And we're going to talk about the Disneyland Railroad. Oh, yeah. It's obviously, I don't think it's one that first comes to mind to folks when they think ride soundtracks, because you have some heavy hitters in the parks, right? Oh, and yeah. so you forget about the railroad. And the railroad, we got our boy Jack Wagner now, currently, spieling over your entire ride around the park, and you're going through the Primeval World exhibit, and you're, you know, rounding the corner near uh, Galaxy's Edge now, and they've had to change that entire route. And, and the music that's associated with each land that you go through piping in over the speakers. It's such a relaxing and pleasant ride and the soothing voice of Jack Wagner really ties it all together. Uh, It just doesn't meet the excitement and notability of some of these other ones. So I think people really left it out. What's one last one for you? Last one for me is, to me, an extremely notable one. And that is great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And Mr. Lincoln, while not the original audio animatronic, is essentially the original audio animatronic. I mean, this was the piece of technology that blew everyone's minds. And uh, while it's not the original AA, the the improved version uh, still lives on in Disneyland. And he's got the the speech that is from some random Lincoln speech. I don't really know. (laughs) It's accompanied by a song that has not aged very well, the Two Brothers uh, folk song. (laughs) Not great. um, I guess if you don't know what it is, maybe maybe watch it maybe don't uh kind of supposed to make you sympathize with soldiers who died fighting for the confederacy in the civil war which (laughs) i'm not sure i'm not sure we should have that who knows but uh big yikes for mr lincoln uh kyle we briefly exchanged text messages over this last week uh and you said just send them to the disney archives and i was like let's do it that theater has got a solid footprint you could do something cool in there just do it just get them out of there man Get him out, put him in a museum where he belongs. That's the only reason why they're keeping him. I've never been to that show with a full theater. I've been there once with you 
And it was literally you, me, and Nina. It was just the three of us <laughs> in the theater. So like, this thing is a museum. It needs to go. We need to keep Disneyland fresh and changing. Mandy, uh, did you have any that missed the dance for you once you saw this bracket of 16? Yeah, so one that missed the dance for me um, is the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. Um, I personally Ooh. just love the score from the movie. Yes. And the way they weave that throughout the ride is beautiful. But I also understand why it didn't exactly make this bracket. I mean, if you've been on that ride as an adult in Disneyland in the summer, it's uncomfy. Uh, the windows are made for children, so you gotta like crouch down in this hot box, and it's not a very <laughs> enjoyable experience as a full-grown adult. So I understand why it probably didn't make the bracket, but gotta gotta shout out Nemo. I'd like to petition the the name change for Finding Nemo's submarine voyage to Hot Boxing with Nemo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> all right. Now that that's out of the way, we have to go down our list of 16 attractions. Who did make the bracket? So we're going to start it off. But first, cue that dramatic music. Kyle, take us away. Yo ho, yo ho. It's a pirate's life for me. Coming in at the number one seed from New Orleans Square. It's Pirates of the Caribbean. Don't close your eyes or try to hide from the number two seed, the Haunted Mansion. We're heading down to the laughing place for the number three seed. It's Splash Mountain over in Critter Country. Prepare for blast off. Coming in at number four, Space Mountain. Don't hop on if you're afraid of snakes. Coming in at the number five seed from Adventureland, it's Indiana Jones Adventure. Put this song on repeat. Oh, wait, it already is. Coming in at number six, It's a Small World. La, 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 Coming in at the number seven seed from New Orleans Square during Christmas time, it's the Haunted Mansion Holiday Overlay. Coming in at number eight, The Mad Tea Party. Welcome to the Tropical Hideaway. Coming in at number nine, it's Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. May the battery life be ever in your favor. Coming in at number 10, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. You won't catch Mrs. Nesbitt firing away in this one. Coming in at number 11, it's Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters. Coming in at number 12, the wildest ride in the wilderness, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Couldn't keep my eyes open when I was five years old. Coming in at number 13, it's Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Coming in at number 14, Matterhorn Bobsleds. Name a better duo, we dare you. Coming in at number 15, it's King Arthur Carousel, mashed together with Dumbo. 60 seconds in heaven. Coming in at number 16, Peter Pan's Flight. All right. Mandy, we've got our field of 16. Any early favorites here? Oh, man. I have a couple. I mean, I think I always love the scores that are written originally for the parks. There's just something Mm -hmm. about that that just, you know, you can only associate it with Disney. Um, So I definitely have some strong leanings towards those, but I'm excited to get into it. And getting into it is what we shall do. 
Let's start off, Chris. The number one Pirates of the Caribbean versus number 16, Peter Pan's Flight. All right, Chris, uh, I'll say it right now. You're not taking down Exitensio in the first round. There's just no way you're taking down Exitensio's the iconic, iconic everyone drink, iconic script for Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm not going to even waste a ton of time to dive into a lot of the history of this. We all know how much I love Pirates of the Caribbean. We just did two massively long episodes on the movie franchise. I could do four massively long episodes on the ride. Peter Pan's flight is very pleasant. It is quaint. It is a quick ride. It is like 45 seconds. And the uh, soundtrack is really just the score with some sound bites taken out from the movie. It's not enough to take down a juggernaut like Pirates for me. Pirates is moving on. All right. I need you to slow your roll just a tad. Um, I don't disagree with you with all of this pirate stuff. Um, but I need you to just take a second and appreciate Peter Pan's flight. This is an attraction that won our best fantasy land attraction. Bracket, <laughs> all right. So we have to give it some due justice. Oh, we did. We did two, <laughs> two episodes of it. All right. So <laughs> I just want you to like put yourself in the shoes of someone who is a diehard Peter Pan movie fan. I, yeah, I, I not me, but there's yeah. people out there. I'm sure that love Peter Pan. That movie. Totally. Totally. And imagine the sensation of hearing that. And then like you go off into the nursery and then uh-huh. over London and then over uh-huh. this beautiful black lit Neverland set. Yeah. And having that score in the background that you can fly, which is, uh, you know, it's not a slap, but it's like a beautiful piece of music. Yes. And there is something magical about that. I think beyond just pleasant, I think mm-hmm. that it's definitely, it puts you in the mood, you know? Sure. After that, you go into Neverland and you get the pirate's life number. And um, that's just like a pretty forgettable number in the Peter Pan movie. Um, So that's kind of like, don't need to talk about that. But I do think that that, like, you can fly (laughs) sequence is like, it's pretty cool, all right? Yeah. Like, it's part of the reason that it won Best Fantasy Land Attraction. Is it better than Pirates of the Caribbean? Like, not even close. But I want to point that out before uh, we just absolutely bury Peter Pan. I'm going with Pirates of the Caribbean. Mandy, how do you feel about this? Yeah, agreed. I mean, when you're going up against a juggernaut like Pirates, uh, you know, as a Peter Pan fan, I do think that there could have been more done with the score for this ride. We don't got any uh, second star to the right featured in this ride, which I think is an issue. Yeah. Um, Lots of opportunity to include it, but instead they just went with a lot of You Can Fly. Um, I do love that moment when you're flying over the London and then you go into Neverland. I think it's beautiful, but... I do think there were some missed opportunities overall in the score for that ride to incorporate more music in the movie. And yeah, it's like three minutes long, flies by literally. So um, got to hand it to Pirates on this one with you guys. All right. So Pirates will advance to the round of eight. So let's move on to the next matchup here. We've got the number eight seed, the Mad Tea Party versus number nine, the 
Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. And I don't really know how to, like, interpret this. I mean, the yeah, Tiki is Room tough. is... The Tiki Room's the underdog in this matchup. And, like, the Disney historian in me is, like, shocked that we have the Tiki Room at nine. And it's having to, you know, go up against the Mad Tea Party here. But the Mad Tea Party is great. I mean, Taylor shouted it out in the best Fantasyland attraction bracket. She's like, that that's a great song. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with that. Let's start with the Mad Tea Party. I think it's absolutely a sleeper. It's really a good compliment to the attraction. This attraction is one that uh, is a little bit silly. You're inside of an out-of-control teacup. It gets gets people really excited. I gets don't know. people going. It, it gets people going, <laughs> you know? And it brings out the inner spaz in all of us. And totally. this song that's playing on like a 30-second loop absolutely assists in that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the same 30 seconds like over and over and over again. Um, and you just want to spin that dirty teacup plate going faster and faster and faster. Uh, and you're just spinning yourself into insanity by, by hearing this song just going again and again and again. Um, and, and that process <laughs> starts when you get in the queue line, because by the time you're like, get into the queue to like done with the attraction, you've heard the same 30 second loop for like 40 minutes. You um, round the corner of the Matterhorn and it drowns out the yodeling that is in yep. the, I, I'll say it's really memorable. I mean, every yeah. single note, of that little loop is like in my head for the rest of my life. Like the quality of the sound and the timing of it and, and everything. So I really appreciate it for that reason. Uh, Tiki room. I mean, it, it seems low, but I mean, I can see why, uh, it's certainly not a very popular attraction these days. So it's probably not going to be the first thing more casual Disney goers think of, especially ones watching POVs, like who's watching the Tiki Land POV, the Tiki Land, like who's watching the Tiki Room POVs. Like, yeah, we are. Mandy is. Kyle is. I am. But uh, if we're talking about just casuals, they're probably not. So I'm really not surprised it's, it's in kind of an underdog spot. But the audio track to the Tiki Room is the most important part of the Tiki Room. It is, it's everything. I mean, any other attraction on this bracket, if you turn off the audio track or ride it with earmuffs or something, you can probably still have a pretty good time. The Tiki Room, you will have no idea what's going on and it'll be extremely boring. So like, uh, you know, you've got the the banter in the beginning between all of the parrots. Mm -hmm. You've got the pre-show with the tiki gods and goddesses which is low-key extremely entertaining and good and a great piece of like spoken theater totally um then you've got the the music on the ride which is so much more than just tiki 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 room you've got let's all sing like the birdies sing you've got the flat flower song and the tiki drum song and uh all of this stuff in there and it's just it's it's what brings it to life so i think Tiki Room has a really unfortunate matchup next round against Parts of the Caribbean. It's going to break my heart, but I think for this matchup, I'm giving it to Tiki Room very, very easily. You forgot 
one of the most important songs, which is the Hi Ho remix to get everybody out of the incredible, tiki room. incredible the, way to transition the audience from the tiki room back into the world of Disney and to Disneyland. Exactly. Um, I think what really enhances this, and we've been talking, uh, or you mentioned at the top of the show that we're going to be talking about area music, like that's around it, and especially if the cue music is different from the actual ride soundtrack, because that's all part of this experience of these attractions. The um, Lanai area, when you're waiting and they're doing the Tiki Gods show and the Dole Whip stand has the um, the really like 80s Dole infomercial about it's like really where bad. pineapples are Pro-colonial, are yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not great. Um, but the soundtrack that's over, or the background music that's also just in that Lanai area is this like, Hawaiian lounge. It reminds me of a like tiki bar. It's very like ukulele and very tropical sounding as it should be. So they really hit the mark there. And then, I mean, it sits right next to the tropical hideaway, which is also playing that similar kind of soundtrack. So within that entire area, this, this land might have one of the best transitions out of every land, to be honest. When you walk into Adventureland, you're hearing the tiki room noises and then you transition to Tropical Hideaway and then you're suddenly in the Jungle Cruise. And that transition is just so powerful. But we're talking about tiki room here. Um, teacups, you're so right about how maddening the 30-second <laughs> loop is. And like, is that on purpose? You're in a mad tea party. Well, is the it thing supposed is, to disorient? The thing is, in the Alice in Wonderland movie, like that's the only part you get. And instead right. of like choosing to continue with the song to like cut a version for the attraction, they're like, let's just throw in what we got. Just run <laughs> it back. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, like that soundtrack brings me such joy. And, and I've gushed about the teacups on our best fantasy land. Like that song paired up with like the disorienting lights at night is just such a memorable experience to me. And I think it really enhances that ride a ton but it's it's just a 30 second loop pulled from the movie i think that the tiki room just has a lot more to add to the entire experience if it was just like a spoken theater at the tiki room we wouldn't be here talking about it i'm not trying to watch some animatronic birds spit lines i'm here to see them sing some songs so uh, i'm with you it's gonna suck next round next round is gonna be real difficult but uh, I'm moving Tiki Room on as well. Mandy, uh, did we break your heart by taking down the teacups? Oh, not at all. I mean, you got this 20-minute musical opus written by the Sherman Brothers going up against this endless three-and-a-half-minute loop. Um, if I was a Disney park worker, I think the Mad Tea Party, I would not want to be working there. I mean, just to hear that over and over again. Um, it brought me a lot of joy as a child. My brother and I used to laugh at what we called the fart noises in that song. And there was bah, bah, like that little like, and we loved it. And we loved going about tea party and hearing the butt noises. Um, <laughs> but Tiki Room, yeah, we can get into it next round um, when it goes against pirates. Maybe not the like most relevant uh, attraction anymore but you gotta love the music you gotta love sitting in there with your dull whip enjoying um just some cool shade and some birds and some flowers and some tiki gods uh serenading you while you have your dull whip so 
Got it. Yeah. Got to go with Tiki Room as well. All right. Let's go ahead and move into the next matchup. We have number four, Space Mountain versus number 13, Pinocchio's Daring Journey. I'm going to start down at the lower one, Pinocchio. I think I talked about uh, When You Wish Upon a Star a lot on the uh, best song bracket and how I really like it. And I think a lot of me really liking it comes from this attraction. And I think that writing this attraction with When You Wish Upon a Star kind of opening everything really brought you into like that storybook mode. Yeah. And like that's what these dark rides are. They're You're driving through these movie run-throughs essentially that were initially like storybooks and that's how it opened. So it, it really kind of sets the mood for this like magical journey that you're about to go on even though it's like absolutely terrifying. Like I said... It's hard with these fantasy land attractions because they're just it's just pulled out audio from the movies that they're from. There's not a whole lot new yeah. for us to experience. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think that in this part, especially, it works for me because I love the Pinocchio soundtrack so much. I love the like trinket song mm-hmm. um, that Geppetto dances to. I love Actors Life for Me. Mm-hmm. I love No Strings. Like that soundtrack is has some bangers on it and. It's all in this ride. Um, it kind of ends up taking a bit of a, a turn towards the end because it just then transitions back into when you wish upon a star once you leave. So it's like you you left for a fairy tale and now you're entering a fairy tale, which works, I guess, Chris, because we just talked about how the hi-ho brings you back into Disneyland at Tiki Room. And now when you wish upon a star brings you right back into the heart of Fantasyland. So that, that really works. What it... What it lacks here is originality, I guess. But here, here's the thing. Space Mountain, man, I wish I was around when Space Mountain first opened up and it was you were just on a ride with no soundtrack. I was just in the dark. <laughs> I was like, what? Were, was there just like a bunch of beeps? and like? <laughs> right. So, so for folks who don't know, when Space Mountain originally opened, there was no soundtrack. And there also wasn't any stars effects. Really, you were just zooming through darkness on a roller coaster. So that's almost more terrifying than it is now. Like if I'm riding through and I'm hearing like compression brakes and screeching of rails and just things whooshing by me in the dark, I wouldn't put my hand, my hands would be gripping that bar. It wouldn't be anywhere up near my head, near my head, over my head, anywhere interesting transition into sound uh we recently were able to join a walt disney family museum webinar with tom morris he's an imagineer who really helped get disneyland paris off the ground and part of that was also uh, in his early career syncing music to space mountain and he literally brought a walkman onto the ride and was trying different sounds to see what really evoked this like space travel uh sound Chris, he chose surf rock. So to, interesting. So to, interesting. To travel through space with. He has a book coming out pretty soon. I think I talked about it when when I might have reviewed it, or maybe I just texted it to you, but he has a book coming out about like the building of Disneyland and it's all this behind the scenes stuff. And I'm really hoping that he kind of mentions his part in this. But it's it's Dick Dale, famous surf rock guitarist, and he's just shredding. And you're just going through the dark, and I love that. Now, take the current soundtrack. 
We're not talking about hyperspace. We're not talking about Ghost Galaxy. We're talking about like the soundtrack that's happening right now. It has very, it's very reminiscent of the surf rock tempo. You can hear kind of like what would be the and it's more just like synthesizer. So they're really trying to like pay homage to to that. But it uh, it also like besides the very beginning, I don't feel very spacey still. And maybe that's just me, but I, it just doesn't really. I'm in. I'm. I'm on Space Mountain. I'm not necessarily in space. And if the the idea is for me to be rocketing through space, like they tell you at the beginning, in which you're literally being launched up to a countdown, it, it's still it's still fun. It just feels more like an amusement park ride with that music than something like Pinocchio, which is heavily themed. It feels very. Disneyland attraction. Um, I will say Space Mountain's queue when you're walking down the tunnels of the spaceport, that's really immersive. And even the instructions and how they're like speaking about this ride makes you feel like you're getting ready to go on a space mission. So that's really great. Um, but Chris, I'm gonna be crazy. I'm gonna be crazy. I'm gonna throw the upset at you. I'm throwing <laughs> Pinocchio past Space Mountain here. Right. Uh, really, the only thing for me that really works for Pinocchio is the cue loop. Like you said, it's that Geppetto. Like the best part of Pinocchio, even though Geppetto sucks. Like that's, that little like theme is the best. <laughs> I disagree with everything you said pretty much about Space Mountain and how it doesn't feel like space. I think the Dick Dale version feels less like space like that is a really sure. random pairing to me um also we should mention that that dick dale version is set to the carnival of animals right which is a classical piece by camille Saint-Saëns, and it's it's a very strange marriage and yes it feels pretty bad a going down like <laughs> a crazy roller coaster to like surf rock playing classical music Surfing but through space i actually really like the the new soundtrack um if we're talking about like how it complements the ride experience space mountain has a plot to the ride i don't know what it is off the top of my head but i know that it exists <laughs> all right and um i think that the 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 new Michael Giacchino version who scored movies like The Incredibles and Up and Ratatouille. He's got some great Disney credits. I think that it helps the ride experience for sure. So a couple of moments that I'll point out uh, with this version of the soundtrack that I really like. I'm not really sure if these are just happy accidents or they're like intentional synchronizations with the ride. Uh, maybe I'm just way overly observant and these aren't even a thing at all. And I'm just a crazy person. But it's when the mission controller says countdown to liftoff, 10, 9. And like when he says 10, your ride vehicle engages with the lift hill, the chain lift. Yep. And then when he says 9, your ride vehicle like lurches forward. And then when it says 8, it kind of lurches forward again. And then it doesn't really lurch again from 7 right. to 1. So that's that kind of makes me think like maybe it was an accident, but maybe it was on purpose. I, I want to say it was on purpose, but... Uh, I don't know. One that I think may have actually been on purpose. If it was an accident, like the odds are insane, but probably around the two minute mark of the ride is the longest sustained drop 
on the ride. Um, and there is a very, very small pop of airtime. It's not that much, but it's a small <laughs> pop. And when you go down that little hill, the soundtrack transitions and it's like all of the instruments stop and there's this like shuffling sound. It's like, like, right. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, if, yeah. Is that a thing or am I just like reading way too far into it? Cause I feel like that happens on the ride. No. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It does transition. So this moment of airtime or weightlessness that you're feeling in the ride vehicle is mirrored by the suspension of all of the other elements of the music. So I think that that's really, really cool. And just, it's my favorite part of the ride. So I really, really like uh, the, the soundtrack for, for reasons like that. Uh, so it does make me feel like I'm, I'm flying through space. Absolutely. Also, that moment in the ride is what cues me to get ready for my on-ride photo op. So I really <laughs> appreciate That's what I usually like start sticking out my tongue and doing my cross eyes and stuff. Uh, so uh, I, I, I love the Space Mountain soundtrack. I love the old one. Love the new one. Pinocchio is not going to advance for me, which means, Mandy, you're going to have to tie break this one. We've got a Disneyland classic versus one that's been refreshed time and time again. Ooh, man, I am excited. So I'll start with my thoughts on Pinocchio. Um, I think out of all the dark rides, I like the soundtrack to this one actually the most because I think it's the most um, full. I think it brings a lot of really nice highlights from the movie score. Um, But yeah, ultimately, I'm going to give it to Space Mountain. Uh, (laughs) The reason for that is... I have a very personal relationship with the 2005 score by Michael Giacchino. Um, my first time going on this ride, I was a very spiritual child, and um, I had a very religious experience with this score. Um, you know, first off, it starts with that just like, Whoa, like that epic, just theremin yes. voice bringing you in. Yeah. And then you go yeah. up the tunnel, and the music crescendos, and you're in this room of like, stars and it was in that moment i felt the presence of a higher being and uh (laughs) i love the soundtrack so much um so i know that it's you know this ride is one that's probably struggled to find its voice for lack of a better term it's been through a lot of versions and some of my favorites that i found in, in research was in 2007 for like grad nights they had rockin space mountain scored by oh, the red hot chili not peppers even for, and who mistake not oh, even just for that oh my god it was an entire promotion and they changed that to red hot chili peppers and they changed california screaming to red hot chili peppers oh, it was this whole goodness. like rockin thing and, and that I, was when celebrate a, a musical street spectacular or whatever was a yep, thing to, like, exactly. every, like there was a weird like rock and roll classic rock thing going on in the country Uh at that moment for sure yep absolutely so i that's one of my besides the very first time i went on that's like one of my earliest memories of space mountain as a whole is going on it with the red hot chili pepper soundtrack (laughs) i'm so glad you brought that up what did they say like now performing on the space stage yeah chili peppers yes and it's awful they take out all the stars you're like at a rock concert i like the hoobastank one better because it's like yeah who cares if you don't like it and it's like this awful like not even like i guess it was like kind of a banger but we mostly know them for that like slow song the reason um but I was watching those YouTube videos and just, oh man, what a choice. So, yep. uh, 
<laughs> we'll get more into it in the next round, but for this one, I'm throwing it to Space Mountain. Yeah, I mean, you've also got hyperspace and ghost galaxies, so there are tons, like you said. But, you know, some people find God on Space Mountain, you know, yeah. and that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I love that so much. Let's move on. Speaking of finding gods, number five, Indiana Jones Adventure versus number 12, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. All right, this is a this is a good one to transition our previous conversation because Kyle, you were talking about how Pinocchio was all about writing the movie and all of these fantasy attractions really are about bringing the movie to life, you stepping into the film. Mm-hmm. To me, the difference between Disney and Universal is this. Universal is all about writing the movies. You get to reach out and and touch the movie and smell the movie and taste the movie. And Disney is like, there is no movie. This is your reality. This you you are you are in a Star War right now. You are right. Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And like that that approaching attractions for that angle just it's so much more difficult, but it makes it so much better when it all works really well. And Indiana Jones is a good example of that. In a lot of ways. Not every way, but in a lot of ways. Uh, So we'll start off with approaching the traction. The first section of Q is that outdoor, like, miserable switchback section outside of the temple. But it's got some nice bamboo coverage. It's got a lot of, like, bug sounds, some bird sounds, and there's this radio generator and, like, old-timey music box playing. Like, you feel like you are standing outside of an archaeological site waiting to go in. I mean, you could just play like the Indiana Jones theme, like in the background and like, oh, I love Indiana Jones. But this is like (laughs) a real, it feels like you are actually going in there. And, you know, we're talking about the soundtrack, but that entire attraction, like that's the whole approach to it is like you are a tourist coming into the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Let's go, baby. You're not like, you know, pretending to be Indiana Jones. Like you are actually like living this this real thing that's happening to you. So you go inside the temple and once a second, you cross the threshold of the temple, you get these like drums, you get some like faint chanting and you get this like snake rattle. And I've said this before on mouse Madness. I was a scared little kid and (laughs) I was so excited to go on Indiana Jones for the first time because I was finally tall enough. And me and my dad and my brother crossed the threshold into the temple and I looked up and I saw the Mara like mural and yeah. that snake rattle went and I was like, nope. And I just booked it out of that. I just booked it because I was like, this is too real. Like I thought I was going inside of like a cursed temple. So you go deeper and deeper into the temple. You go into the bat caves and it transitioned from that kind of like temple sound to, you know, cave wind and dripping and little bat sounds. It's, it feels like you're inside of a, a real bat cave. And then, of course, you get to the actual archaeological site. You get Sala's safety spiel, John Rice Davies, in one of the most memorable safety spiels, maybe the greatest one to exist. Right. Um, and they do it in a way that feels so, so organic and and realistic. I I feel like I know every word to it. And there's also like three different versions of it. So you can 
you know, have three or four waves of people go through and you'll, you'll see like different versions of it or uh, different snippets of the like, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, And then once you get into the loading station, it's just a bunch of like idling Jeep sounds and you've got Sala on your radio giving you like the safety spiel. Again, like this is just everything working in perfect harmony to make this feel like a very, very real experience. And then the ride starts. And this is kind of where it's a little bit of a tricky position because you have to put the Indiana Jones score in there. Like you like you just have to. You if can't... you've got John Williams on call, you gotta put John Williams right. in. Um, especially, you know, when the action starts, uh, you know, you you get that you get a bunch of different Indiana Jones themes, not just the one everyone knows, but uh, from all three original Indiana Jones movies, it's a master mix of a bunch of different themes, but you've also got a lot of really cool sound effects in there too. Stuff that's sounding like it's coming from like the actual attraction. Uh, You've got hissing and popping and all this stuff um, that just, like I said, it just makes the experience feel so real. And of course it ends with Indy's one-liner Every time it's great. Tourists. I hate tourists. <laughs> or next time you wear a blindfold. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's just, it's so good. Um, it's going up against Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. This one is an attraction that feels kind of more like a themed roller coaster to me more than anything. There isn't exactly a soundtrack to it. So this would be an example of like doing an attraction without like music to go along with it. I think for Big Thunder Mountain, it absolutely works. They're, they mm-hmm. pipe in some like train sounds, some like screeching, um, a little bit of chugging, and even the chain lifts. Like these are dis- high quality Intamin chain lifts here, and like Disney pipes in this like old ratcheting sound that makes it yeah. sound like it's like barely making its way up the hill. You've got the goat, the literal goat. Literal goat. The literal goat. Uh, and of course, you've got another really iconic safety spiel. This here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Big Thunder Mountain wins here. I just don't think that there's enough. But I think there's a lot more than meets the eye. I think that it's better than you might think if you just hear, oh, what's the Big Thunder Mountain soundtrack like? You know, it's not trash. It is by no means trash. There's just not a whole lot to it. So I'm going with Indiana Jones. I want to talk a little bit more about Big Thunder because okay. I, I, I like where you're going with it. I mean, like part of the soundtrack is piping in sound amb- ambience. You know, like you you want the inorganic chain lift to sound like an old rusty mill that's lifting this runaway mine train up, and you want the rest of the ride except for the environmental sounds to be non-existent because you're supposed to be on this like runaway train. So of course there's not going to be like some crazy banjo soundtrack being piped in over your shoulder as you're careaming down these hills, which I'm like actually appreciate them doing because they could have, they very easily could have and they didn't go that route. The ending, Chris, when you uh, ride on by Rainbow Ridge always brings me so much joy. And like, the soundtrack is different during the day than it is at night. During the day, not a whole lot of people are at home, so there's not a whole lot happening. But at night, you hear the bar open, and you hear people singing songs, 
and uh, and clinking glasses, and it, it, that's such a fun homage to the the train ride that was there before when Disneyland first had opened. Uh, because Rainbow Ridge was part of that attraction. So it's a nice little thing. It also just kind of ends the ride in this, like, you're back in Frontierland sort of thing. All about transitions here, apparently. Um, and you're right. The spiel is... Uh, sorry, everybody. It's iconic. But you're right. Indiana Jones is so well synced, and they use not only the throwing of sound so it sounds like it's coming from these different directions but like i'm pretty sure and i could just be stretching this completely but the use of the hydraulic systems like release air and sound and these like noises and i feel like they really use that to the advantage of like you're kind of on edge during this entire ride you're being whipped around you're supposedly not having the same ride experience as the time you had before and these sounds are just adding a lot to it and adding to the mystery and the pure chaos of Mara's temple. So, uh, of course, John Williams is John Williams, so they couldn't not bring that guy in. But you're right, from the start of the queue, frankly, from when you enter Adventureland uh, and past Jungle Cruise, where they also have the kind of old-timey radio running. So you're transitioning from that into the into the Indiana Jones queue and you're still hearing that same sound. It's like an expedition of the river, an expedition of the temple on the river. And it all pairs so well together. So I'm with you, Chris. Indiana's moving on. Mandy, I, I saw a little bit of a sigh when Chris first said that Indiana was moving on past Big Thunder. Did you oh. did I misread that or are oh, you fine yeah. with No, I'm excited for Indy. Um like, okay. agreed. Like I just think that the use of sound in this ride throughout the queue through the ride itself um and even like exiting the ride is just it's so full um if i had to be stuck in the line for any any disneyland ride it would be this one just because it's so immersive um it really drops you into that world um you gotta love big thunder i mean it's a fun ride love that wildest ride in the wilderness love the little coyote yips and the country music and the and the saloon music but yeah gotta give it to indy on this one I have a small fact correction to make before any Thuzies get mad at me. Big Thunder Mountain is not an intimate attraction. It is a dynamic attractions <laughs> roller coaster. Just fact checking myself. Hey, I, I'm glad you cleared that up. We would have gotten a ton of hate mail for that one. All right, let's hop across the bracket. We're talking number two, the Haunted Mansion verse number 15, King Arthur's Carousel along with Dumbo. Uh, believe it or not, Chris, we had our first tie when this bracket was happening in which Dumbo and Carousel were mentioned the same amount of time. So they ju we just match them together. They're also happen to be across from each other. They share the same kind of noise, the same sort of sounds. So I see how this works out. What I really enjoy about King Arthur's Carousel is that they really lean into the carousel. Uh, you're getting not only the surrounding sounds of Fantasyland itself as you're kind of walking up to it, but then once you're there, you're getting the like Calliope noise of a carousel and it feel you feel like you're on this very old-timey carousel which it really is it's all disney songs that have been changed into this kind of instrumental carousel version which is very quaint and nice and fits great with what this attraction is 
every once in a while, you got the little Fantasyland band that hops on with Mary Poppins and they'll perform some music as they go around. Like, that's huge. You can't necessarily, I don't think, attribute it to the soundtrack of this attraction, but it's part of the experience of the attraction if you're lucky enough. And I think that's awesome. And then there's Dumbo. Dumbo's Dumbo. I mean, it, half the time you hear Casey Jr. when you're on Dumbo. I mean, it's 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 there. Um, it's a, it, This is another one, Chris. It's up against Haunted Mansion. You, you can't you can't hate you can't not pass Haunted Mansion on. Grim Grinning Ghosts is even if somebody's not a Disney Parks fan, I bet Grim Grinning Ghosts is on their rotation around Halloween time. Guarantee it. This is a soundtrack that very much fits what the vibe of this ride was going for. And it starts in the queue. The, the, what I like about this so much is they take one melody and they change it and transcribe it to fit the mood of every single scene that you're going through. You're in the, this, the lobby waiting to get into the stretching room and like it's a, this very ominous like grim grinning ghost melody over uh, over the spiels and the ghost hosts and the use of the ghost host sounding like he's bouncing off the walls and like you never know where he's actually coming from. This is like some pretty great technology for how old the ride is. And sure, refurbishments happen, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you really think about the history of this, this is what they were going for. They wanted the most ominous and creepy beginning to this attraction that they could find. And the use of one melody that way is so genius to me you hear it again uh as a waltz during the ballroom scene it's the same melody it's now transcribed as a waltz you hear it as uh very briefly in the um the killer bride attic scene the guy on the piano who's playing here comes the bride every once in a while fit in a little grim grinning couple of notes all in minor keys and then you get to the the straight up cemetery throwdown bonanza and where where you have the singing busts and it's the it's the song um and and they're not going to let you off the hook there you hop onto the uh escalator the the rising ramp and you're still being haunted by the killer bride hurry back like here i am talking about transitions again you're being spat back out into the cemetery of the haunted mansion when you exit. You literally leave a mausoleum as you walk out of the haunted mansion. And they let, like, from beginning to end, the soundtrack of this ride just puts you into this place that you don't even remember. Like, you're in Disneyland, to be honest. You're in this completely new place, and the soundtrack adds so much to that. Honey Mansion's moving on. Kyle, in Best Fantasyland Attractions, I tried to make a run with King Arthur. You I did. tried to make it happen. I tried to make a little upset happen for sure. Mm-hmm. And I referenced this carousel sound as part of the reason. I think it sets the entire mood for that whole castle courtyard area. And this is or these are the only attractions on this bracket where you can hear the main soundtrack when you're not necessarily on the attraction. I guess maybe Mad Tea Party would be the other one, but 
you know, it's a it's an atmosphere setter for sure. But not a whole lot in terms of like immersion. But there's not a there's that's not really the point of these rides, you know. So ultimately, yeah. I think they did the best that they could have done. Um, but ultimately, I agree with you. Haunted Mansion for the win. Mandy, any kind words for King Arthur and Dumbo before we send them off? Yeah, you know, I think that these two rides contribute the sound of Fantasyland. They really just drop you in that whole entire land. Um, I love the sound of the gavioli that plays all the classic Disney tunes. Um, I have a vivid memory of my first trip to the parks, riding the carousel and hearing the um, version of Once Upon a Dream and just feeling like I was a princess myself. So it achieves its goal of making every kid feel that Disney magic. Um, But yeah, agreed. Haunted Mansion cannot throw down my boy Xavier Atencio like that. Agreed. It's got to move on here. Next up, we've got the number seven seed Haunted Mansion Holiday versus number 10 Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. So this seeding is another one that's really interesting to me. I mean... Haunted Mansion Holiday at number seven uh, feels mm-hmm. really, really high. Yep. But ultimately, Nightmare Before Christmas and Haunted Mansion Holiday have this tremendous following. And feels like the wait times for Haunted Mansion Holiday are just always absurd. Yep. It's, like, it's like two hours for this Omnimover attraction that is like kind of good. I don't, you know... <laughs> We're not talking about the ride itself. We're talking about the soundtrack. So we'll try to talk about that. But what I'm saying is I'm not surprised it's a little bit high because people seem to like this attraction a lot. Uh, So let's go ahead and dive a little bit into uh, what's happening sonically in Haunted Mansion Holiday. The first thing, which is actually something I really, really like about this, is in the queue outside of the mansion um, and as, as well as in that like fountain area outside, they do Grim Grim and Ghost with like the Christmas bells. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. Like a, yeah. a really interesting combination of like scary, but like festive. I, I, I dig it. I really, really do. Especially considering there's not really any music playing outside of the Haunted Mansion normally, which um, I think is the right move for that version of the attraction. But um, it's cool to kind of have uh, something different, you know? Which, I don't know, in a way, might be kind of a shortcoming of of, uh, the attraction as a whole. It kind of stands on the shoulders of the Haunted Mansion. And uh, as well as this movie, it's like very derived. So it's not really its own thing. But they are able to create this narration for the whole thing that is entirely original. And it takes the normal Haunted Mansion show elements and gives them a little bit of a holiday twist. The entire narration is in rhyme which which is a tribute to the night before christmas the book i think yep. that's really cool they find some really creative ways to, to make it feel really poetic i gotta give a shout out to Corey burton who does the ghost host narration uh does an incredible job of impersonating the unimpersonatable paul freeze uh yep. really really great stuff madame leota does a little 13 days of christmas thing which I don't know if I really like that. I don't know why. It just like, it just feels like lame to me. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I get it. It just, I feel like they could have done something better with her. Most of the ride is, you know, like you were saying, it's Grim Grim and Ghosts 
for the Haunted Mansion. For some reason, they chose Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Right. Like, of all the incredible music in Nightmare Before Christmas, they did this song that, like, is one of the weaker songs, in my opinion, from Nightmare Before Christmas. But it's definitely the most mischievous song on that soundtrack. So I see why uh, it's there, because that's kind of what they're going for. This, like, Jack's taken over, and it's crazy in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I understand the choice. I just don't care for it. Once you get to the graveyard scene, Grim Grim and Ghosts is replaced by an honestly kind of confusing mashup of Christmas carols that are parodied with ghost ghoul things. Like, We Wish You a Scary Christmas is the one that is the most memorable one to me. Um, And then it'll kind of like end with a little line, Grim Grim and Ghosts come out to socialize, but it's like, it's festive. You know, it feels Mm -hmm. like holiday music. I don't know. This ride's overrated to me. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the soundtrack, but um, I like the bells. I like the bells in the queue. Pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Uh, On the other hand, we've got the Rise of the Resistance. Um, This is an interesting one. I was talking about how Disney is so good at making the attraction real, and this ride feels a lot like something universal would do where you are writing Mm -hmm. the movie and not necessarily like living the attraction. And part of the reason I think it feels that way is because the ride is scored throughout in Indiana Jones. You have like atmospheric sounds leading up to the actual attraction part. Rise of the Resistance, from the second you step in the queue, you've got various Star Wars themes as well as the original orchestral theme created by John Williams for Galaxy's Edge, which is a beautiful number on its own. But it just it just gives it a different energy. And when you're inside of the Star Destroyer on that deck with all those stormtroopers and you're, you're being staged to be put into these holding cells, how cool would it be to not hear anything at all? The void of space, right. which is a silent, silent place. The humming of the reactor and the engines in the Star, Star Destroyer and, you know, the beeping of, of sounds that are happening on the ship. Droids, like, you know, wheeling by. I'll point to a non-Disney attraction, a defunct non-Disney attraction. The Star Trek experience at the Las Vegas Hilton did something like this. Like, this is like the the beta version of rise of the resistance and it was so cool because it did that i mean you got transported to the deck of the enterprise and you got to hear what it would be like to be on the deck and it was very quiet it was just a, a very faint humming it was a little bit awkward to like be standing on that deck with like all of the other guests on the attraction and then you have like the the character actors pretending like they're crew members and you just hear this like humming sound you hear them chatting amongst themselves it's it's like awkward but it feels so realistic and i think that rise of the resistance would have been more effective that way from a soundtrack perspective so that might be a little bit of a hot take for me, but um, I <laughs> we'll think hear it, about it if it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it, it gives it a different energy when like the whole thing is scored throughout. A little interesting tidbit about that orchestral piece that John Williams composed for Galaxy's Edge. In an interview with Variety, Matt Walker, who is Walt Disney Imagineering's executive in charge of music, he said that visitors can listen to that 
on the internet or with headphones, but you will never hear that entire piece played like raw at any point in Galaxy's Edge. Like it's just kind of like peppered in, which I guess is cool. It's like a little building block to build off of. Um, if you're talking about like the land as a whole and the atmosphere, but I don't know, again, I just can't get over this writing the movie thing. I will say that John Williams piece is incredible. I think just for the effort alone that went into creating a score for an attraction like this, I think I'm going to give it the pass here over Haunted Mansion Holiday just because I can't have Haunted Mansion Holiday advancing in this bracket. I just can't have it. Uh, So for this round, I'm advancing Rise of the Resistance. The Haunted Mansion Holiday has a super interesting soundtrack history, actually. I don't know if you dove into this at all in your research, but... Probably not. uh, um, Yeah, it doesn't sound like you would have. The original soundtrack when this uh, attraction opened up, which was in 2001, I believe, was by Gordon Goodwin, um, Grammy Award-winning composer. And people weren't feeling it. People were like, this doesn't feel like Nightmare Before Christmas. It doesn't feel like really anything. And it was because during that time, Disney had this little kind of baby feud with Tim Burton and... Danny Elfman, essentially. And they didn't want to give up the rights to anything. But Disney owned the rights to Haunted Man or to the Nightmare Before Christmas. So they had to let them use the likeness of Jack and all of that, but not the score. Hmm. So then once everything was amended, immediately 2002 it got replaced. And it was replaced by a score by Job John Debney, who's done a plethora of scores across the Disney universe. He took themes that were composed by Danny Elfman because he was finally allowed to do that. So that's when this thing finally took off. And it was around 2003 that that season is when people were a lot more into it. So you had mentioned that you weren't a huge fan of the the kidnapping Sandy Claus. Um, but then you also brought up that it the whole thing is supposed to be mischievous. And I think that's it's the perfect song for this. It, it's not supposed to be the this is Halloween throughout the ride. I think it's the the melody that they needed to have throughout the entire attraction was the kidnapping Sandy Claus because the, it, it's the characters moving in and running amok and causing mis- mischievous problems, you know? So um, I think it works here big time. Um, and I always gets stuck in my head every time I go on this attraction forever after. Like, I mean, months after leaving the park, I'm just like this. And and in the graveyard specifically where it ends with the grim, grim, ghosts come out to socialize. Like, that's I love that pairing and that uh, the homage that's paid there. Which is funny because, like, we don't get Haunted Mansion during Halloween. It's like... The worst... We the, let's take Christmas. the scary attraction and make it Christmas during Halloween. That makes a whole lot of sense. All right. It's not great. It's not It's not great. It doesn't help that the Christmas season there starts November 1st or whatever. Rise of the Resistance, you're right. It does feel like a universal attraction with the fact that it's very Star Wars-esque soundtrack. Most of it is themes that we recognize from the moment you step in the queue through the end. And I'm with you. It should have felt more like a spaceport 
ambiance when you're in front of those stormtroopers, right? It should have been silent. That would have been a lot more ominous, I'll tell you that. It would have been, I mean, it's already, you're standing in front of these hundreds of guards, but like if it was silence and you're just like standing there and like encountering them, that'd be terrifying. Holiday isn't even my favorite version of the mansion. And I think that what Rise of Resistance has done to really set a standard, both thematically, attraction-wise, and just how they are able to take the Star Wars sound, incorporate the themes we all love, like in Indiana Jones, but also add a new kind of twist just for the attraction to it, really makes for a -a one-of-a-kind experience. I'm moving Rise of the Resistance on as well. Mandy, big holiday fan? So this one's interesting because I still have yet to go to Galaxy's Edge and experience it myself. So even this, uh, (laughs) I promised Tess I wasn't going to watch the ride through until we went to Disneyland together, but oh well. Um, And just watching (laughs) Rise of the Resistance and um, hearing all the different scores, plus that sound design, like all the lasers and I mean the original voice actors, um, it just really immerses you in that world. Um, Haunted Mansion Holiday, I enjoy it. I I like it. It's not my favorite either. And and what bugs me about Haunted Mansion Holiday is that there are still some Haunted Mansion sounds that sneak in. Um, the the biggest one that throws me off is the gunshots in the ballroom scene. I don't Mm. know why we're sneaking some pistol shots in Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know who died, (laughs) but, um, that one always just, like, catches me off guard. Um... And, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, again, like, they, they do repeat the Sandy Claws over and over again in that ride. I think they could have had a little bit more fun with the score. Um, I understand that they were maybe in a battle with Danny Elfman, why that didn't happen. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Even though I, I haven't been there before, just even watching the ride through for Rise of the Resistance, um, that score just really drew me into that world, uh, more so than Haunted Mansion Holiday, so... Agreed. No hard feelings with that choice. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the number three Splash Mountain and number 14 Matterhorn bobsleds. I super love the yodeling in the queue of the Matterhorn, Chris. I, I think that is so good. And what's really unfortunate is that we don't get to spend a lot of time in that anymore only because the line for the Matterhorn gets so long that you actually have to wrap yourself around the mountain in which you're hearing well, the seagulls. Something that I learned is that they have a new queue area right out front. They basically extended the like queue space in the front of the attraction. Oh, so there's a little bit beautiful. more room. Yeah, beautiful. Then that's just only going to enhance the queue experience because up until that point, which I obviously haven't been in since then you would wrap around the mountain and you would hear freaking teacups because you're that far around. You would hear the seagulls from Nemo's hot box. Yeah, you would, (laughs) everything. And so I'm glad that they did that because the yodeling really sets you, like you almost feel like you need to go find your your puffiest jacket and throw it on because you're about to scale this this mountain right now. It's so good. The, The spiel sets the mood. You're ready to go. It's, a very general kind of amusement park spiel. So it's not anything that's like Indiana Jones, let's say, where you're 
being told this in terms of this uh, expedition you're about to go on. It's more so like put your seatbelt on and like don't jump out of the bobsled vehicle as this goes down the mountain. Chris, we talked about this. I think that we've talked about this. Uh, I remember us really chatting it up when it first happened uh, back in 2015. The improvements they made to the Yeti as you are going up that mountain and you see the Yeti silhouette through the glass and that base of his growl just shakes the bobsled. That sets the tone for the entire experience that you're about to go on. If this is your first time on the Matterhorn and that's what you're you're thinking you're about to encounter, every time that bobsled takes a turn, you're ready for this thing to pop out at you. And it does. There's not a whole lot of other sounds on the ride except for like embedded uh, wind whistling to make it seem like you're a lot higher up. You're really just hearing the tracks of the of the bobsled itself. So it's in that way, there's not a whole lot of soundtrack. The roar of the Yeti, the splashdown, and then you're back into Yodel Town. It's up against Splash Mountain, which is on its way out. This is a ride that we had an entire episode dedicated to already with its transition into uh, Tiana's Tower of Terror. And the music is great. It's happy. It's catchy. It's very cartoony, which I think is the point because you're kind of in this cartoon-like scenario where Bear Rabbit wants to leave home for a big adventure and gets caught and has to escape and jumps into the briar patch and then home sweet home's the lesson today, right? Zippity Doodah carries a lot of baggage and I think we're going to kind of chat more about uh, just cultural representation in some songs as we move along this bracket, but there's a lot of baggage that comes with Zippity Doodah and, and the scenario that it was sung in Song of the South was of a recently freed slave reminiscing on the slave days and how slaves were so with one with nature that they miss it. Mr. Blue Jay on my shoulder. My oh my, what a wonderful day. It was great. Plenty of sunshine because we're out in the fields picking cotton and stuff. Like it, it carries a lot of baggage. It's complete, completely removed from that context when it's put into this ride. But as we've learned, that context still feels gross and gross enough for Disney to be like, listen, we're going to get with the times and we're going to take this thing out. I like, I love the soundtrack. I really do. But if it didn't come with this cultural baggage that it does, I think I'd be able to move it on. I think for me just personally, I'm not going to. So Splash Mountain is going down and the yodeling and the roar of the Yeti is going to carry the Matterhorn over uh, Uncle Remus. Yeah, we're doing this bracket in a specific time in history. You know, if totally. we had done this a year ago, we probably would have had similar takes, but it just it wouldn't have been as fresh in our minds, you know? Sure. I want to propose to you a slight adjustment to make to the Matterhorn, particularly in the Q area. You referenced the... German Bavarian sounding safety spiel guy. 
I know of a particular Pixar character who has a German accent, who is a current free agent and available to do a safety spiel. Do you know who I'm thinking of? Heimlich's Matterhorn bobsleds. Before you board the Matterhorn, <laughs> don't forget to put your wings inside the right vehicle. He, he is manos. He los manos, brazos, pies y piernas. <laughs> Guten tag. <laughs> so, I mean, that would, that's just a great idea. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm with but, it. Uh, <laughs> I think I am agreeing with you here for sure. I just, like, I can't get excited about Splash Mountain right now. You know, particularly because I, I'm already thinking about what might be coming down the pipe next. Uh, what are they going to do with this movie that has three or four or five really good songs on it? How are they mm-hmm. going to score it and mix it into something that, that makes sense and is also super fun? So uh, it's hard for me to break down Splash Mountain to be like, these. this is the reason why it should be crowned best Disney soundtrack. So um, I'm with you. I'm going Matterhorn. Mandy, any last words for Splash Mountain? This might be the last time we talk about it. I mean, Splash Mountain was born of trash and it will go down as trash. Um, <laughs> the fact that they like, just <laughs> made these rides from like America Sings character because no one was going to Bear Country and then they're like, let's name it Splash Mountain after the movie with Tom Hanks. So people go see that. And, you know, like, you could have done so many more things with the America Sings characters. Like, Robin Hood, that's like a non-problematic Disney property that has those kinds of animals. No, what are we going to do? We're going to do this, like, outdated racist movie. And it's just, like, at the end of the 1980s. Like, what? Um... I will say that the one interesting fact I did find out about this ride is that even though we kind of think of like Splash Mountain as a different land than like New Orleans Square, um, they scored the Disneyland version to have a jazzy big band feel specifically because of its location near New Orleans Square, where the huh. one in Disney World has a more like countryer banjo-y twang because of its location mm-hmm. in Frontierland. Um, wow. So I personally think the Tiana choice is like the way to go. I'm so excited. Um, I appreciated Splash Mountain as a kid. I had a lot of fun, and then I got woke, and then I realized, uh. (laughs) So, I I don't mind at all. Um, Fred Burry, who does the Matterhorn yodeling, used to do it live with the accordion and yodel yodel his little heart out on the Matterhorn. So, I think it's a great dedication to a non-problematic man, hopefully knock on wood. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm happy we're moving Matterhorn on. All right, that's going to take us to our final matchup of the episode. It is the number six seed, It's a Small World, versus number 11, Buzz Lightyear, Astro Blasters. Now, I'm going to say something pretty crazy. I could see It's a Small World at three and Buzz Lightyear at four on this bracket. I think It's a Small World... It has a reputation. It's known. So it could easily be a higher seed. But Buzz Lightyear, that ride has an incredible mix. Incredible. So underrated. So let's talk about it. It begins as you enter the attraction and you've got some drum beats. It sounds like you're in some type of army setting, uh, getting ready to march. Um, and that makes sense because you are like a, a, a new trainee to Star Command. 
and you are studying under the tutelage of Buzz Lightyear. Then you hop on the ride vehicle, and the first scene, you're just in outer space, and there's not a whole lot of music there. It's just a lot of, it's just kind of like a, a whirring sound. It's very, like, trippy in the background, and, and you're shooting this stuff, and then uh, you get to the first Zerg. It's a little bit more intense, and then you get to Planet Z, and you get the most incredible remix of Strange Things. It is so <laughs> funky in all of the best ways. Uh, I absolutely love it. You end up going through the speed tunnel, past the final Zerg, and then you get a really awesome spacey remix of You've Got a Friend in Me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This soundtrack from beginning to end is like the perfect duration. It's like eight, nine minutes or something like that. Um, and it's just so well done. It, it pays tribute to the movies in a way that's appropriate, that's on theme, and is immersive all at the same time. The thing that kind of kills it is the entire time you're also listening to... <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of miss it when you're actually on the ride. <laughs> but uh, listening to like the studio mix in headphones is really great. It's really, really great. It's going up against It's a Small World, which we've said it before. And get your drinks ready. This is an iconic song. It's a song that the entire world knows. And it's a song that's so powerful that they named the ride after the song. <laughs> the name of the attraction is in parentheses because you're you're just writing this song like it is what it is. Yep. Miss me with the take that this song is annoying. Yeah, I'm with Miss you. Miss me with that. I'm because with you. Because this song is extremely well done and I don't find it annoying in the slightest. Nope. I was listening to it the other day getting ready for this and... Not only was it like, you know what? This is a really good song. I was like, you know what? This is a song I needed to hear right now. And I think a lot of people could stand to listen to right now. Yeah. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. And when you think about this attraction, you think about everyone holding hands and singing together in harmony, very, very kumbaya. But looking at these lyrics here, it references a world of tears and a world of fears. So while that's not necessarily visually present in the attraction, it's something that the attraction is meant to make you think about, that the only reason all of these people are holding hands together and singing is because there is this pain and hurt and these problems in the world. So it's something that's very, very easy to miss, but I think that's it's something that's very, very important when understanding what this ride is trying to say and what this song is trying to say. I absolutely love it. It's poetic. It's a Sherman Brothers classic. It makes the entire attraction. I love you, Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. I think you're super underrated, but I'm going It's a Small World. Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters does a very good job of what Fantasyland attractions don't do, which is take this property and not just make us ride through a movie. It's taking you and putting you into a scenario in which could exist in the larger picture that is different from what we've seen. Um, of course, in the early 2000s, 
late 90s, you had um, Buzz Lightyear's Star Command on the Disney Channel. So as a kid, you would also be brought into that world, but you're also not going through an episode of that show. You're just going through a scenario that could have taken place within that scenario. Uh, the space versions of Strange Things and the kind of uh, robotic little green alien remix of You've Got a Friend in Me, very good, very good. I love me a good remix that is on theme, and I think that is why I enjoy It's a Small World better is because they take the same stinking song and they recompose it into the different styles of the different rooms. And I think that's awesome. And I think they do it very well. Um, one part that really comes to mind every single time that I kind of roll my eyes at is the like rockabilly like guitar solo during the um, uh, the America, like USA, the newly added USA room where it like it's right before it gets into everyone because of course save america for last grand finale baby ahead. usa yeah. oh my gosh but the different versions i like a lot a lot a lot there's little mini remixes within the larger song you're right it's very much needed right now it's a message of unity it was a big part of why the sherman brothers wrote it when they did it essentially was in a very similar time as we are now when they wrote it um in the 60s so I'm with you, Chris. Um, I'm moving It's Small World on. I don't think it's annoying. I think it's actually a brilliantly composed song, even if the lyrics are incredibly simple. It's the same thing over and over again. Mandy, uh, how, do, how do you feel about It's a Small World, who people find pretty annoying moving on here past Buzz? No, agreed. I mean, I think that the whole background and story of this attraction is just so moving. Um, yeah. And even though the lyrics are so simple, I love it because it fits the ride. Like, it's children singing to you, singing words, how they would ex describe, like, world peace in their own words. And I think the Sherman Brothers are just brilliant for that. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, this ride originally was supposed to feature the national anthems of each country playing simultaneously. And Walt Awful. just went up to Dick and Bob and was like, hey, write me a song that can be translated in any language and, you know, played all over the world. And it can be played in the round. It won't be disruptive. And they... they did it like that's incredible yeah. <laughs> like they whipped it out they did it they 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 wrote a banger so agreed I i'm loving it's a small world well sorry you didn't do a whole lot of tie breaking on this episode but i got a feeling things are about to oh. get pretty dicey things are gonna pick <laughs> well, up gonna I spicy. Can tell you that. <laughs> well hope you're ready to bring it next episode thank you so much for joining us mandy we look forward to the next episode folks you know how to reach us you need to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. If you've got something to say, if you want to blow me up about getting my Intamin trivia <laughs> wrong, if you want to blow me up about my Rise of the Resistance takes, go right ahead. If you've got a bracket idea or you want to be a co-host tiebreaker, please reach out to us. We would love to have you. You can always tweet us at mousemadnesspod. We're on Twitter all day long. Also, join our Discord server, which is linked in the podcast description. You can join our Facebook community. Until next time, thanks for riding with us. We'll see you in the next episode. Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh.